Oh, talk about somebody that's uh, struggling with uh, some fears. I uh, was online this week uh, looking at uh, phobias, and I discovered this incredibly long list of uh, different kinds of phobias that some people struggle with. I brought along a list of a few of the ones that I thought were interesting. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing any of these correctly, so a little grace on that. Um, there's a blutophobia. That's the fear of washing or bathing. Parents, some of you may think that your children actually have that fear. There's a loxodo- no, let me start that one again. Aloxodoxophobia. It's the fear of opinions. I'm afraid of that sometimes, I think. I really don't want to hear other people's opinions. Um, there's uh, aviophobia. It's the fear of flying. And I know some people that battle that, and it's quite legitimate. Um, I, I like this one. Alophobia. It, it's the fear of flutes. Well, which I understand that, don't you? I mean, a fear, the, a flute, that is a mighty, powerful instrument. And the people that usually play the flute, I mean, you know, they're just usually monsters. So, uh... oh, sorry. Yeah. I like having you guys in the front row, by the way. You, uh, in all seriousness, uh, you guys bring great energy to our worship. So if you have about 25 friends that you could all bring with you, that would be awesome. I love having you down here in front. And I'll try to pick on you whenever I can. Ataxophobia is the fear of disorder or untidiness. Uh, here's another one, ballistophobia. It's the fear of missiles or bullets. Aren't you supposed to be afraid? Uh, there's cherophobia, the fear of happiness. There's lots of fear in being happy. There's ecclesi- ecclesiophobia. That's the fear of church. And maybe there are some of you here today who had to Overcome that fear to even come join us today. And then here's one I hope that you're not having. It's called boreophobia. It's the fear of sermons. And I hope that you don't have that this morning, especially by the time we're finished. I hope you don't have that. Well, you know, we can laugh at a lot of those fears. But the reality is I think all of us struggle with some kind of fear in our lives. I mean, we may not fear amnesia or flutes, but we, we're afraid at times. Maybe for us, we battle a fear of not mattering. Maybe we fear life's final moments or failure. Maybe we fear terrorism or downturns in the housing market or layoffs or the swine flu. Maybe we fear betrayal. I think probably all of us struggle at some point with fear. And fear has an amazing ability to drive happiness and confidence and courage and mercy right out of our lives. It herds us into a prison cell and slams the door. Wouldn't it be great to walk out? Imagine this morning a life without fear. Imagine if faith, not fear, Fear were your default reaction when you feel threatened. What if you could hover a a fear magnet over your heart and extract every shred of doubt and insecurity right out of your life? What if it would be what it would be like not to be afraid? I think if we would let Jesus have His way in our lives, that is exactly what He would prescribe for every one of us. So that's why for the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time exploring how to live fearlessly. How to kick this enemy right out the door. 
Today I want to begin by looking at a familiar story that I think helps to lay a foundation for everything we want to talk about over the course of the next several weeks. And today we'll lay a foundation and then in the weeks to follow we're going to talk about some of the particular fears that we struggle with and we'll build on that foundation. So I want to look at a story that's found in Mark chapter 4, and I want to encourage you to uh, take out your Bibles. I hope you brought them with you today, and as always, would you take them out and find Mark chapter 4. Mark is one of the first four books in the New Testament part of your Bible, and if you'll open it up there. This story is actually recorded in three different books in the New Testament. You find it in Matthew chapter 8, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8. So maybe you want to go home and read some of the other accounts of this same story. Now, Jesus, as the story is set up here, has been teaching all day long, teaching some very important principles to people who had gathered a very large crowd together. And I don't know if you've ever done any kind of extensive teaching, but some of those who are teachers in the room can tell you it's exhausting. It's exhausting to have a, a crowd of people gather around and to teach them and hold their attention. And so I think Jesus is a little weary at the end of this long day of teaching. Verse 35 is where we pick up the story. Here's what happens. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, they were sailing across the Sea of Galilee, which is several hundred feet below sea level, and it is surrounded by hills and, and kind of mountain ranges, and there are deep cuts in these mountains. And so a lot of times the wind, like it is like a tunnel, will come through the openings in those mountains right down across the lake and often stir up furious storms. It still happens uh, today. And so one of these storms that is very unexpected, you don't see it coming, happens. And these guys that are fishermen, and some of them used to being on the water, are caught by surprise. It's interesting if you read this story in Matthew's account in his book in the Bible. He must have gone through a thesaurus to pick out the word that he was used to describe the storm. And I'm sure he was trying to find a word that would describe just how furious the storm really was. And he picks out the word seismos, where we get seismograph, where we describe earthquakes. Matthew is trying to describe the violence of the storm and he says it's as if the earth was shaking. It was so violent. They're afraid. And who would blame them? Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. He'd had a long day. He was tired. And so when he gets on the boat, he goes to the, the rear of the boat and in this kind of fishing boat, there was a stern area where they stored the nets. They had these same nets. They were weighted on one side that they would lower into the water to make their catch of fish. And they often would store these at the stern of the boat in kind of a covered area. And so it's like Jesus kind of maybe crawls up in there and falls asleep. It says he has a, a pillow, a cushion. And don't think, uh, you know, cottony pillow like we may sleep on. It was more of a leather bag, a ballast that they would have used to balance the boat and it was, it was there at the stern. And so Jesus kind of curls his up, maybe puts his head on that ballast, and he falls asleep. The story continues. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And again, in one of the other accounts of this story, they just kind of use almost three words there. Lord, save us. We're dying. Kind of very staccato in the original language. That sense of urgency and fear. And you can imagine, you can hear yourself screaming in that situation, can't you? 
Lord, save us, we're drowning. He got up, verse 39, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. But he noticed that Jesus there speaks to both the wind and to the waves. Literally, he says to them, be muzzled, stop. If you've ever been in a storm, you know what? The wind sometimes can end rather quickly, doesn't it? But if you've been out on the sea and it's been churning, it doesn't usually die away rapidly, does it? The waves continue to churn and to be big for a while. And so it's interesting that Jesus here speaks not only to the wind, but to the waves. And He says to both of them, be still, be quiet. And there is this complete stillness that happens. Verse 41, verse 40. He said to His disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Or Luke says, where is your faith? They were terrified. Now, this is no longer a terror like we're afraid of the storm. This is a different kind of terror now. This is the terror of we are in awe and wonder at what you've just done. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. There are three questions asked in this story. Questions that I think would we would be wise to try to answer or at least ponder for our own lives. Jesus asked the first question. After the storm has been calmed, Jesus turns to His disciples and He says to them, Why are you afraid? It's a good question, isn't it? In fact, I'd ask you, Why are you afraid? What is it that induces fear in your life? Louis Armstrong uh, tells the story when he was growing up, the trumpeter, uh, when he was growing up in southern Louisiana. He was staying one day with his Aunt Hattie Mae, and uh, she sent him out one day and said to him, hey, take this bucket, I want you to go out to the pond and get some water. So he takes that bucket, he walks down to the pond, and just as he is kneeling down to get water into the bucket, an alligator springs up out of the water, and he drops the bucket and sprints back into the house. Now Aunt Hattie Mae notices that he doesn't have the bucket, and she says, hey, Where's the water that I sent you to get? And he explains the story about the alligator. She says to him, son, you get back out there, you pick up that bucket, and you get some water. That alligator is more afraid of you than you are of him. To which Louis responded, if that alligator is more afraid of me than I am of him, then that water ain't fit to drink. Back to our story. There is this monstrous storm that the disciples find themselves in, and they are full of fear. They are afraid of what is all around them. And Jesus says at the end of this, why are you afraid? And I wonder if the disciples thought that question was absurd. Jesus, what do you mean, what are we afraid of? We were about to drown. We were about to be swept to the bottom of the sea by these waves. Why are we afraid? And maybe there have been some times in your lives when you would have found that question equally absurd. What do you mean, why am I afraid? Look at the storm that's raging all around me. And we've all had storms, haven't we? Life is stormy. And those storms cause fear in our hearts. You know, we should just expect storms. It is just part of life. It shouldn't surprise us. It doesn't matter who you are or where you go or what you do. There are going to be storms. They're going to happen. In fact, do you remember what Jesus said 
Jesus said, in this world you will. Not you may, could, might. You will have trouble. It's going to happen. You can expect it. God is not our strength from storms. He is our strength in storms. You see, we don't... The way we set aside fear, the way that we get rid of it, is not the absence of storms. They are going to come. God is not our strength to get away from storms. He is our strength to get us through the storm. Why are you afraid? <laughs> Maybe you'd answer, because of the illness. Or because of the, our money situation. Or because of things that are happening around the globe. I'm afraid of life's final moments. Why are you afraid? You, you answer the question. But I think Jesus would say the same thing that He probably said in the boat that day. Wrong focus. Wrong focus. You're concentrating. You're zoned in on what's making you afraid. The storm. Instead of remembering who's in the boat with you. Wrong focus. Which points very quickly to the second question that Jesus asked. In fact, He asked them so quickly there really wasn't time to answer the first question. He says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? You see, the disciples looked around and they saw danger all around them. And they looked within and they saw fear. And that danger and that fear caused them to misplace their faith. Not misplace in the sense of, oh, I, I put it somewhere and I don't remember where it is. Rather, they had, rather than placing their faith, their trust in Jesus, they had placed their faith, their trust in their own ability to maneuver that boat through those rough waters. Rather than placing their trust, their faith in Jesus, they had placed their faith, their trust in their own strength, their own intelligence, and thus in their own limitations and their own inadequacy. Where is your faith, Jesus says? You've got it in the wrong place. Quit putting your faith in what you are capable of doing and put your faith in Me. Nowhere in the Bible does it just say, believe. No, it says, believe in Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the Bible does it just say, oh, have faith. No, it says, have faith in God. What is the object of our faith? The disciples had placed their faith in the wrong things. And maybe at times we do also. Think about it this way. What if Peg and I, my wife, decided we wanted to fly back to Ohio to see some friends? And we went to a local airport and we just started asking around, is there anybody here who could fly us to Ohio? And after we asked a few people, there was one guy that says, hey, I'll fly you to Ohio. And we might ask him a few questions. Well, how long have you been flying? He says, well, I've taken a couple of lessons. I've really never been up by myself. Well, do you know how to get to Ohio? Well, I know kind of generally where it is. I think we probably could find it. Well, do you have a plane that you could fly us in? And my friend has a plane. He'll let us borrow. And he takes us out to this hangar and swings open the door. And there is a plane. There's a piece of the tail section missing. And the fuselage looks like it's wired together. And the prop is bent. And he says, I think this will get us there. You know what? If I got into that plane, that wouldn't be faith. That'd be foolish. Because I would be placing my faith in something that was absolutely worthless. 
on this day in the boat, who got in and said, hey, let's go to the other side? Was it some ordinary Joe who had no power? Was it some regular guy who had never demonstrated his ability to do the miraculous? Was it just some preacher who could wow a large audience? No. The guy who said, let's go to the other side, let's get into the boat, was the same guy who with just the power of his voice could hush the wind and calm the sea. It was Jesus who said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Where is your faith? It can't be in your spouse or a friend. It can't be in the church or in me. We'll fail you. We'll let you down. Our faith has to be in Jesus because He's the only one who has the power to get us to the other side. How can you handle the storms of life? You know what the answer is? You can't. But God can. There's one more question. And this third question is asked by the disciples and maybe it's the most important question that is asked that day. They ask, who is this? Listen to verse 41 again. It says this, They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. It's a good question. Who is this? In fact, it's such a good question. It's probably a question that we ought to ask ourselves. We ought to ask every day. Who is this? Because the answer is what allows us to move from fear to faith. The answer to this question, Who is this? is what allows us to operate in faith every day rather than cowering in fear throughout our lives. Who is this? Well, the answer is Jesus, who was never afraid. I mean, think about it. As you read that story, do you see a single moment in the boat that day when Jesus seems to be afraid? No. In fact, As I've read through Jesus' life in the Bible, I can't think of anywhere where Jesus is ever afraid. Who is this? It's Jesus who is never afraid. Do you remember when you were a child and there'd be a thunderstorm outside? And at first you'd say to yourself as you're laying there in bed, I'm going to be brave and stay right here. And the thunder would crack and the lightning would blink. And you'd pull the covers up a little bit closer. But as that storm got closer and closer and the lightning seemed worse and the thunder got louder, what would happen eventually for most of us? Yeah, we'd throw off the covers and our little feet would hit the ground and we'd run as fast as we can into mom and dad's bed. Do you know why children do that? Why they run to mom and dad when they're afraid? Because in their minds they are absolutely convinced that mom and dad are not afraid. And they need some of that courage. Jesus would say, Jesus is not afraid. He is not afraid of illness or downturns in the economy. He is not afraid of life's final moments. He is not afraid of failure. And the next time you are, run to Him because you need some of His courage. Who is this? It is Jesus who has the power to overcome any problem. Who was the one person in the boat that day who had the power to calm the sea? To stop the storm. It was Jesus. And who is the one person in our lives that has the power to get us through the storm? 
It's not me and it's not you. It's Jesus. He's the one that has the ability to overcome any problem. Who is this? It is Jesus who is always with us. I think for a minute or two, the disciples on this day in the midst of this storm, in the midst of their fear, they forgot that Jesus was in the boat, it seems. They forgot that He was right there. They were right in His presence. Ever happened to you? That you, all you can see is the storm and the fear is so strong that you forget that you're living in the presence of Jesus. Do you know what Jesus' final words were as He got ready to go from earth back to heaven? His final thing He said, final promise to us, was simply this. He said, and surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age or to the very end of time. Jesus says, I'm going to always be in the boat. No matter how stormy it gets, no matter how rough the waters get, I'll always be right there. Right there in the boat with you. Who is this? It is Jesus who is the Prince of Peace. Do you realize there was only one guy in the boat that day who had the power and the authority to bring peace to the situation? And again, it was Jesus. And there is only one source, one true source of peace in our lives. It's Jesus. In fact, here is the Bible's promise to us about peace. In Philippians 4, it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding or is beyond our comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in or through Christ Jesus. You know what? I won't pretend to be able to explain this peace that comes from God. I don't fully understand it. But I know this. There is not a storm that I have experienced in life, and there have been some good ones, nor is there a storm that I am yet to face in life that I want to face without the peace that comes from Jesus. Because it is that peace. It is His power. It is His authority. It is His strength that gets me through the storm. And it is that peace and that power that allows me to move from living in fear to living in faith. That's what Horatio Spafford discovered. He lived in the early 1800s. He was a very successful lawyer in Chicago. Thriving practice. He dabbled in some real estate that was a pretty healthy income for him. But tragically, uh, he lost his son. And not long after he lost his son, there was the great Chicago fires. And he lost a lot of the real estate that he had invested in. So after these couple of tragedies, he decided, let's take our family, his wife and four daughters, and let's go to London. Let's just get away from all of this. But just before they were to depart on their trip, there were some business things that came up that prohibited him from leaving. So he said to his wife and daughters, you go ahead and go. I'll join you as soon as I can. Just a couple days later, he received word that there had been a tragic accident at sea and only his wife had survived. His daughter's lives were lost at sea. He got on the next available ship to go to London to join his wife to be of comfort to her. And as that ship was passing near the spot of the tragedy, He stood along the rail and he wrote the words to a hymn that maybe you grew up singing in church. One of the lines says this, When sorrows like sea billows roll, it is well with my soul. I'm telling you, that can only be true in his life and it will only be true in our lives 
if we remember that Jesus is the one that's in the boat with us. And He is the Prince of Peace. He's the one who has the power. He's always with us. And He's never afraid. God, thank You for Jesus. And I thank You that in my life there have been some, there have been some storms. And His presence has always been there. He's never abandoned me in the middle of a storm. Thank You. And God, would You just begin in our lives and in our hearts today to lay a foundation that we can build on in the weeks to come as we study. But God, would You begin to lay that foundation today that would allow us to move in our lives from fear to faith. God, would You help us to place our trust not in our own ability, but God, in what You can do. Not to remove us from the storms, but to get us through the storm. God, would You remind us that it can only be well in our soul if we place our trust in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand sing with us.